Again, great to see you, and uh, I am really, really excited about the, the message that I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, but before I do that, I wanted to mention again, if you attend church here, this is your church, we want you to go through Growth Track. And again, that starts next week. You can just get online, sign up, and Joel Richardson's going to be here next week, which means nothing to you. I know that. But Joel, Joel this is subjective, but I believe that Joel is the 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 best, the, the most accurate Bible teacher in the English-speaking world when it comes to the subject of end times. And uh, next week, as far as Israel, Turkey, Iraq, Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about what's going on in the Middle East, what the Bible says is, is up and coming, and it's going to be phenomenal. So please put it on your priority list right up on top, get to church next Sunday. Well, today I want to continue this morning and tonight talking to you about the subject of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him or to please God. So you, can, you, you will not connect with God because you're in trouble. You will not connect with God because of your feelings. The way you connect with God, the way you please God, the way you receive from God, the way you have fellowship with God is through faith. You've got, that, that's where it starts. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot connect, receive, fellowship with God unless you have faith. And fortunately, God did not leave us without a way to get faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, we can say it like this. Faith is the currency of heaven. In the United States, you need to spend dollars. In Mexico, you got to spend pesos. You go to Israel, you're spending shekels. But if you're going to receive something from God, if you're going to deal in the heavenly economy, it works on faith. It's the only currency that works in heaven is faith. So what it really does is faith will take what's in the heavenly realm and cause it to be manifested in the earthly realm. Faith is the bridge from the natural to the spiritual world. God's world operates on faith. Without it, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, notice two things, must believe that he is. No atheist has faith. You must believe that he is. And listen, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, it makes a difference when you pray. It makes a difference when you seek God. It makes a difference when you worship. It makes a difference when you come to church because God is a rewarder. God said, the first thing you need to know is I exist. Second thing is that it makes a difference because I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The currency of the spiritual realm, the currency of heaven, it's faith. Mark 5 tells us about a woman. It says she had an issue of blood for 12 years. You know, when, when something's been in your life for 12 years, you may feel like it's permanent. Another time the Bible talks about a woman who has been over for 18 years. But faith changed both of those situations. And this woman with the issue of blood, she hears about Jesus and the Bible says, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. 
In fact, some translations say it like this. She just kept on saying, she just kept on saying, if I can just get to him and touch his garment, I will be made well. She goes by, she touches his garment. Now look, the Bible says there's multitudes of people around him. All kinds of people are touching Jesus. Nothing's happening. But she touches him and the Bible says that virtue or power came out of Jesus, went into her body and healed her. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Finally, she comes forward and explains everything. And this is what Jesus said to her. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Your faith has made you well. A lot of people had needs, but the person that received was the person who had and used their faith. In Luke chapter 5, it says, uh, verse 17, it says that on a certain day, Jesus was teaching and there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now notice they've come out of every town in Galilee and Judea, and they've come from Jerusalem. There's, there's hundreds of people there. And the power of the Lord is present to heal them. But notice as we read on that none of them get healed. But the power of the Lord was present to heal them, but them did not get healed because them didn't have any faith. I know that's bad English, but you catch it, right? <laughs> them had no faith. So the power of the Lord is present to heal them. And behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom when they had sought to bring in and lay before him, they couldn't find a way. They could find no way to bring him in because of the crowds. So they went on the rooftop, moved some tile. They let him down on his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, the man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, it says he saw their faith. Now, he's talking about the four guys. Well, they had to have faith. And you say, how could you know that they had faith? Because it takes faith to climb on a roof, take off the tile, and let somebody down on ropes. If you don't think anything's going to happen, you're not going to do anything. They had faith. Jesus saw their faith. And the man had faith. You say, how do you know that? Well, because I don't know any paralytics who are letting somebody haul them up on a the roof. They're like, I'm already bad enough. You drop me and it's going to be worse yet. So this guy, he lets them haul him on the roof and let him down on ropes in front of Jesus. See, their faith was visible. Now, the power of the Lord was there to heal all these scribes and Pharisees, but none of the scribes and Pharisees got healed. But when Jesus saw their faith, he said, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And then he tells the man, pick up your bed and go home. And he does, and he's healed. So faith is the currency that works in heaven. Now, Jesus said this in Luke 18. He said, when the Son of Man comes, I mean, you know, Jesus is coming again. Every New Testament author talks about the return of Jesus. Everyone. Will he find faith on the earth? Will he even find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying, when I come back, faith is going to be a rare commodity. When, I think it's interesting. He said, will he find it? You know, God is looking for faith. Smith Wigglesworth said, God will pass over 
a million people to find one with faith. So Jesus said when he's coming back, he's going to be looking for what? For faith. And faith is different than what most people think it is. Most people only really understand one side of faith. Let me read a little bit of that in Hebrews 11. Through faith, they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight. The armies of the aliens, women received their dead to life again. But listen, this is also by faith. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain by the sword, wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the desert and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith. They walked in faith. You know, there's times where faith will stand up against culture. Where culture says we're going this way, but faith says, no, God's going a different direction and I'm going with faith. And you can be rejected. You can be put aside. You can be persecuted. You can be ridiculed. The Bible says that that some of them actually lost their lives. Others of them, they says they're wandering about because they had lost everything that they had. And they threw faith. They threw faith. They were living by faith, by faith. And then it says, did not receive the promise. They didn't receive the full promise that God had made. In fact, the Bible said about Abraham that he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for that heavenly city, Jerusalem, to come down. It says, God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What that's saying is this, that ultimately Jesus is going to come back. And if you're alive, you're going to be caught up to meet him and you're going to be changed. Your physical body is going to be changed. It's going to become a, a glorified body. But if you've died, you're going to be resurrected, physically resurrected and be with Jesus. The Bible says, so we will meet him in the air and we shall forever. Everybody say forever. forever. Ever be with him. Forever be with him. The ultimate goal of our faith when Jesus comes back. Faith thrives in hard times. Faith is, is not just for good days or Sundays. Faith is for troubled times just as well. Times of, if we can say it this way, times of holy discomfort. Now, I think you know that I'm just going to make a statement here. There is nothing worthwhile that's easy. If it's worthwhile, it's always going uphill. <laughs> I remember when I married Jeannie, I thought marriage was going to be easy. And some of you, you're not married, so you don't get it. But, but the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 7, those who marry will have trouble. Yeah. And you don't even need to pray about that verse. It just works out that way. There's <laughs> the two to become one. There's just, there's just some trouble that shows up. But nothing of value comes without effort. David fought Goliath. 
Now, that was faith not for easy times. It was faith for hard times. Abraham, the Bible says, had to leave the Ur of Chaldees. Now, he's living in Ur of the Chaldees, which 4,000 years ago, scholars tell us, was the most modern city on planet Earth. They, they had an underground sewer system all through the city, beautiful for the, for the day and age. And God said, I want you to leave and live in a tent. How many of you ladies would like living in a tent for the rest of your days? And, and, and go to the place I'm going to show you. And Abraham says, well, like, where are we going to go? And, and God says, well, I'll just show you as we go. You know, the Bible says that his word, it's a light to your feet. In other words, God's just going to show you your next step. We want airplane landing lights. We want to see what's coming way down the road. But very seldom does God show you what's coming way down the road. Because if he did, you'd chicken out. But he'll just show you the next step. And what is that, that does is it keeps us dependent on God. We're, we're constantly dependent on God. We're constantly living by faith. Moses, the Bible says, he forsook Egypt and said, I'm going to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now, Moses was part of the royal family. Anything that money or prestige or position could have, he had it. But he forsook it all. How many know that wasn't an easy choice? Wasn't an easy choice. Noah built an ark to save his family. Now, the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And it also mentions that God spoke to him when he was 500 years old and he went into the ark when he was 600 years old. So in other words, he built the ark for 100 years, during which time the Bible says he's a preacher of righteousness. He's preaching all the time. He's got this illustrated sermon. He's right behind him. He's building the ark saying there's going to be a flood. And you know how many people believed him? Zero. For 100 years years. He did not have one call. That's a lot of altar calls with nobody responding. I'm telling you. But he just kept on going. It wasn't an easy thing to do. Jesus went to the cross. I mean, no, that wasn't an easy thing to do. Faith is not just for Sundays and easy times. Faith thrives in a challenge. That's when it'll thrive. Now, the other thing about, about your faith is it's not just meant to bless you. In 2 Corinthians, first chapter, third verse, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, so also our consolation also abounds through Christ. So here's what that means. That means when you go through a hard time and God comforts you and God delivers you and God gives you victory and God's grace comes on you, it's not just for you. God wants to use you to minister to people that are going through the same thing that you're going through. You may have had, you, you may have been an addict, drugs or alcohol, and God delivers you. But what God wants to do is he wants to use you to minister to people who have addictions to drugs or alcohol. You may have gone through a very difficult marriage and God saw you through. 
God wants to use you to take that same comfort, that same anointing, that same grace that came on you, and he wants you to minister that grace to other people. You may have lost a loved one, and God wants to use the same comfort and grace that he put on you. He wants to use you to minister that same grace and comfort to other people. The test of your life can become your testimony. The most miserable thing you ever went through can become your ministry when the grace of God comes on you. Now, about 250 years ago, there was a captain of a slave ship. He had been brought up, his mother was a, was a Christian. She had been converted under John Wesley. And he had walked away from God. He knows what he's doing is wrong. But he has got a ship full of slaves from Africa, and he's out on the Atlantic Ocean. And that hit a tremendous storm. And he believes the ship is going down, and he's going to die. And he cries out to God. And he says, God, I know what I'm doing. It's an abomination to you. He said, but God, if you will just save me. He said, I'll turn my back on everything. Everything I'm doing, I will serve you all my life. To get through it, and true to his word, Captain John gets out of the slave industry and literally dedicates his life to fighting slavery. He wrote a song, by the way, that some of you know. In fact, we just sang part of it today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, as he begins to speak out against slavery, he, he meets a young man by the name of William Wilberforce. And he begins to mentor and befriend William Wilberforce and talks to him about the evils of slavery. William Wilberforce is a very young man, goes into to, to Parliament. He, he becomes part of the, 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 one of the, the, the parties in England. And in, in 1791, he puts forth a bill to end slavery in not only Britain itself, but in all of the colonies. It's soundly defeated. And uh, with John Newton's mentoring and befriending and, and help, he ends up saying, this is the cause of my life. And finally, in 1833, they finally pass a law outlawing slavery in Britain and all of the colonies. And, and by the way, uh, Wilberforce dies three days later. But he said that was the purpose of his life, the purpose of his life. You know, the, the grace that came on John Newton to, to, to be free from what had him bound, he used to minister to other people. That's exactly what God wants to do with you and me. The thing that was your test, the thing that was your misery, where God came in and moved in your life, God wants to use that same grace, that same anointing, that same comfort in your life to minister to other people. Jeannie and I met in Dallas and, and uh, got married and went to school together our, our last year as a married couple. Uh, but we, we actually... I was 23, you were 21, and uh, we moved to Mexico. We haven't been, we, we celebrate our first anniversary, marriage anniversary in Mexico, and we started a church, 
Six months later, we had to leave Mexico because we, we were on tourist papers. It was illegal to be a missionary at the time. So we had to leave and go get new papers. And while we were gone for 10 days, a guy by the name of Lucio. Now, just, just say that, Lucio. You know that's evil, Lucio. Like Lucifer, you know. Well, well he came and, and he split the church. Now, we had like 120 university students in the, in the church, practically everybody in the church was a university student. And uh, we, we literally, we lost half of them. And I remember getting back and, and I thought, my, I, I've got to do something. And, we, and I'm, I'm knocking on doors and, and uh, people would slam the door. They'd cuss at me. People spit in my face, just saying the terrible things. Right? In fact, one of, the, one of the things that this guy said was that we worked for the CIA. You know, and at the time, there was a lot of really bad feelings with uh, Mexico and the United States, particularly with, with younger people. And I remember I went to this one door, knocked on the door, and we had won this girl to the Lord. And, and she opens the door. She sees me. She just starts saying just horrendous things, cussing at me, spits in my face, slams the door. And I went out to our van and and I remember putting my, my hands on the steering wheel, and I'm just sobbing uncontrollably. And, and I said, this is what I said to her. I said, God, I said, I quit. I said, I cannot do this. I said, I, I, I am the worst pastor that you have ever had in the church in 2,000 years, and I just cannot do this anymore. And there was this, this little... Uh, kind of like this verse just kind of bubbled up. Ever have a verse just kind of just come out of nowhere? Yeah. And, and the verse, it, it was from the, the Sermon on the Mount. And this verse said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For so persecuted the prophets, so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. And great is your reward in heaven. And I remember just going, oh. <laughs> I was not convinced, you know. I was just not convinced. And, uh, and, and literally, you know, Jeannie's prayers and the, the grace of God, we stayed. Right? Um, today, I have such a heart for pastors that are struggling because of what I went through. The comfort, the grace, what God did for me. He wants to use me to minister to people that go through the same thing. And the exact same thing is true in your life. See, by faith, we receive that from God. But by faith, we take what God has given us and we use that to minister to other people. Our faith is not just for us. Our faith is to bless others. During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln made this statement. He said, the struggle of today is not just for today. The struggle of today is not just for today. So the struggle that you're in today is not just about today. It, it, it's not really even just about you. Because when God delivers you, when God puts his mercy and his grace and his anointing on you, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect the people that you affect. In fact, it's supposed to just continue on. In fact, this is what God said to Abraham. He said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, what I'm doing in you is not going to just bless you. 
It's going to go way beyond you. You know, when David fought Goliath, this is what David said. He said, today, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand, and I'm going to take your head, and I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. It wasn't about David. It was about making his name glorious. And so David kills Goliath. And when the Philistines see that their, their hero is dead, they run. And the Bible says when Israel sees, they all chase. And the Israelites go and they defeat the Philistines. So David's victory was not just about David. David's victory was so God's name would be glorified. And David's victory didn't just give him victory. David's victory gave all of Israel victory. Your faith is not supposed to just affect you. Your faith is going to affect others. Your faith is to affect your family. Your faith is to make his name glorious. Moses forsook Egypt, but his faith didn't just affect him. His faith affected the entire nation of Israel. Abraham again. Yeah, he left Ur, but his faith just didn't affect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because in him all the families of the earth are blessed. Jesus, literally by faith, went to the cross. And how many of you know, that faith didn't just affect him. It affected you. It affected me. Now, faith is never passive. Faith is always moving. Faith is always doing. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians 5, it says, faith working through love. Faith is working. Faith is doing something. That's why Jesus said, so let your light shine before men. You know, faith isn't passive. You're doing something. People see you doing something. And what happens? They glorify your Father who is in heaven. And if, if you, in my, in my mind at times, I, I look at, at Christians and, and I kind of think like we're in three groups. Some of us are museum keepers. And when I say that, that's what I mean. We're talking about man in the, in the 70s. Man, God, we had the charismatic renewal and God was moving and there was this and there was that and there were people getting saved and we were casting out devils and man, things were happening in the 70s and God was moving in the 70s and I remember 40 years ago when I knelt down and I prayed and man, I'm, the carpet right there is holy because man, I got saved right there, you know. We're talking about what happened yesterday and then there's settlers and settlers, they're just content that let things be they're kind of like, you know, I won't bother the devil. The devil won't bother me. I'll just make agreement with the devil. Just kind of cruising along, kind of complacent in their Christianity. They just say, everything's good. Just leave me alone. Don't expect anything out of me. Just kind of on cruise. Now, how many of you realize that, that faith is always doing something? It's like you're going upriver. You're in a canoe, and you've got to paddle to get upriver. How many of you know when you're in the canoe and you stop paddling, what happens? You're going backwards. And the same thing is true in our Christian life. You cannot put it on cruise. You just, you can't say, I'm taking a vacation. Because faith doesn't take vacations. And then there's the pioneers, right? And the pioneers are always looking ahead. They're always saying, you know, God's going to do great things. This is what we're going to do in the kingdom of God. We're moving ahead. It's like the psalmist said. He said, deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep. He's saying, my, the, the, my spirit, the deep in me, is calling out to the deep in the spirit of God and saying, take me deeper, bring me farther, 
Use me more. All right. I want to pray more. I want to serve more. I'm going to sacrifice more. I'm going to win more people to Jesus. I'm going to give more. I'm going deeper and deeper in God's purpose, in God's plan, in what God has for me. That's the pioneer. Keep on moving ahead. The, the, literally, the motivation of our faith should be to bring glory to God. Jesus said that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Again, David said that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The reason we're here is to make his name famous, make his name glorious. If the only purpose was to get you to heaven, literally, we should bring the baptismal tank in, bring people up, dunk them, keep them under. Send them to heaven. That way they can't blow it. I mean, we just, we just send them right there. But how many realize God has a purpose for you? And it's to make his name glory. Not your name. His name glorious. Now, literally for that to happen, you might have to get stretched some. You might just need to do some inconvenient things at some inconvenient times. How many realize disciples do inconvenient things at inconvenient times? It's just not when it works out for me because we're here to make his name glorious. That's the reason we're here. And no cost is too great to make his name known through our lives. Nothing should be too inconvenient, too uncomfortable, or stretch us too far. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, may the Lord be magnified. You know, every one of us, we should be saying continually, may the Lord be magnified through my life. May he be magnified through my life. Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we could put in parentheses behind that. Your kingdom come, your will be done in and through my life. That's what God wants. He wants to use you to bring the kingdom so that people look at your life and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? We know the Bible has the answers to the greatest questions of life. But you may not realize that the Bible also has the greatest questions, not just the answers. It's got the questions. In James 4, it says, what is your life? Think just a moment. What's your life? If I had a mic and passed it around, I guarantee you, somebody would say, my life's happy. Somebody would say, my life's a wreck. My life's my family. My life's my job. My life's going nowhere. My life's going in this direction. But the, ans the Bible answers the question, what is your life? It says your life is but a vapor that's here for a moment and it's gone. In the light of eternity, your lifespan is just like a little puff of smoke. Probably by the end of this month, you'll go outside in the morning and breathe. And there'll be just a little bit of vapor there on a cold morning. In a couple seconds, it's gone. It says, in light of eternity, 
In light of the greatness of God, your life is but a vapor and it's gone. The great question, the Bible has the answer. The Bible asks this question, what shall the end be? And the Bible is encouraging you to look beyond this life. Someday your body wears out and the real you steps out of your body. What will the end be? The answer, heaven or hell. It's multiple choice, but there's only two choices. Ultimately, you will either spend your eternity in his presence or separated from him. Third question, what must I do to be saved? The greatest question, what must I do to be saved? The answer is not good works. The answer is you need to receive Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Receive the forgiveness that he has for you. Confess him. Make him the Lord of your life. And you will be saved. You will be saved. Now, if you're here today and you're away from God, you're not right with God. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. And when you lift your hand, you're saying, I understand what I need to do to be saved. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus and I'm going to receive the forgiveness that he has for me. He's going to come into my heart and make me a new person. When we pray together and say amen, you're going to be forgiven right with God on your way to heaven. So get ready when I say three. As you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying is you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart, all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two, now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, I'm surrendering to Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right. I see a hand here and here. Another hand here, another here, another over there in the back. Thank you. God bless you. Another hand over here up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else way in the back. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Now, would everybody please stand? Nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Would you please move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is. Bring whatever you brought. Bring the person that you came with. But make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be on your way to heaven. If you're in the balcony, please come down. Up there, make your way down. We're going to wait for you. As you make your way down from the balcony, we're going to pray. God's going to meet us right here. Give them a hand as they're coming. Thank you. God bless you. Ushers, help us. Bring them in. Bring them in. Thank you, Lord. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And literally, this is the most important decision you will ever, ever make. We are so excited. Anybody coming from the balcony? Romans 10, verse 13. 
it says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. Now you're that whosoever this is going to work for you. And we're going to call on the name of the Lord the way the Bible shows us to. And then God has a promise for you. It says, will be saved. So when we say amen, you're forgiven. You're right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. All right. Would everybody please just take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.